a message of unity, as good as it sounds, is not winning anyone any elections. Primary polls are now open. Get yourselves ready for a turbulent election. Whatever happens to you, best of luck. You win, I support you fully. My name is Steven Garza, and I'm running for governor. Welcome back, Oscar fans. This is Jake. You're listening to the OCC, the Oscar category completist, and I'm coming to you live from the precipice of Oscar season. Labor Day, historically, is the unofficial start of the Oscar season. It's when a lot of the films that you end up seeing and talking about the most come February, or in this case, April, start being released. Obviously, the Telluride Film Festival, which is a launching pad for many of them, That's been canceled this year, but the Toronto International Film Festival will still take place in an amended hybrid format. Next week's Labor Day, so there won't be any show. When we come back after that, there'll be Charlie Kaufman's new movie. We'll talk about Christopher Nolan's new movie, which has already been screened in a number of theaters in the U.S. and is going national wherever it's safe this coming week. But we do get to wrap up the summer with a very Oscar-relevant movie that I'm actually a couple weeks late on, and that is Boys State. This is a documentary that was released on Apple TV+. Plus. It was picked up out of Sundance where it won the Grand Jury Award for documentary. And this is a movie that, at least in cinema circles, has received, I'd say, outsized attention relative to your standard documentary. Now, it is very good, and so I do want to talk about Boy State to start this episode. But then I want to zoom out and look at what is going to actually be an enormously deep category this year in Best Documentary Feature. And it's ironic because this is a year where, like I said, there hasn't been a lot of relevant content for an Oscar podcast for most of the year. Obviously, theaters have been closed. Some things have trickled out on streaming services, but a lot of that content has been held. I think the general impression among many people in the movie world is there might be a very thin, uncompetitive Oscar class across categories and that that's you know, part of the reason that they extended the eligibility window to, to try to expand that pool. But documentary feature is as competitive as I can ever remember. A couple years ago, um, the year that Free Solo won Best Documentary, was also an enormously competitive year. And that was a year when a lot of documentaries that were really beloved, like Won't You Be My Neighbor, the one that covered Mr. Rogers and Three Identical Strangers, were relatively large box office hits and yet didn't even get nominated for Oscars. There was a big difference that year though, and that was still the existence of MoviePass. And that's obviously not around anymore. Now, it is somewhat of a similar situation where a lot of these documentaries are coming out on streaming services. And that in essence has the same kind of impact that I think MoviePass had where, you know, it's it's one thing to go to a cinema and pay anywhere between 10 and $18 to watch Avengers Endgame on a big screen. It's a little bit different to go watch Three Identical Strangers. If you have Movie Pass, it's less of a decision because it's it's free. And if you have Apple TV Plus, it's it's maybe less of a decision to watch Boy State because it's free. So in that sense, I think the dynamic might be somewhat similar. But regardless of of the root cause, I do think that this is going to be a very very deep year for documentary feature. So I'm going to start by talking about Boy State, and then at the end of the episode, I'll talk about 
the stiffest competition and, and how deep a class it is and maybe where I see Boy State within the race. So Boy State is directed and produced by Jesse Moss and Amanda McBain. This is not their first feature. A, a few years ago, they had a, a documentary called The Overnighters that was highly acclaimed. It was not nominated for any Oscars. But this film takes place in Texas, and it depicts a long-running tradition in which every year a thousand teenage boys, and there's a girl state too, there's there's a version of this for girls, but a thousand teenage boys come together and basically build from scratch a representative government. You know, they do get the opportunity to legislate. Uh, a couple years ago, Boy State got some what you might call negative attention in the press because the culmination of the, the legislative process was to have Texas secede from the United States. And in, in these kind of divisive times that got covered in a very negative light. But the goal is to allow these young, promising men, many of who, whom aspire to a career in politics, to go through the trappings of government and, and specifically campaigning. I think there's a lot of focus on this imaginary governor's race and trying to kind of simulate that, that election experience. Alumni of Boy State include Bill Clinton, Samuel Alito, Michael Jordan, and Roger Ebert. So it's not all politicians, Dick Cheney. That's what this film covers, coming out, of course, in an election year in a time when politics is kind of crept into the mainstream of our culture and the lines have blurred somewhat between entertainment and politics. So this comes into the world in a very a time in which it's very relevant. It had its premiere at Sundance in January. Like I mentioned, it won the U.S. Documentary Competition Grand Jury Prize. It was then the first release under the joint header of A24 and Apple, the partnership that they have that um, will bring us on the rocks in a few months, the new Sofia Coppola movie. So this is a movie that uh, has been highly anticipated, um, certainly a movie that's been on my radar. Hot Docs was the online documentary film festival that took place earlier this year where I got to see a number of, of movies that I'll talk about later. But this was the opening night screening, and it was virtual. They had a limited number of seats. I'd set my alarm to make sure that right when tickets got on sale that I was able to log in to try to get my tickets. I It took me about one minute to get my browser open, and it was sold out. So this was a much-anticipated film, and finally got to see it on Apple TV+, Plus, which is the only place right now that you can see it. It's a, it's a lot of fun. I'll say that it's like a it's a raucous movie. It's fun. It's a movie that you know I watched it with my wife and we were laughing out loud at parts. We were talking about it. It's it's draws you in, and it's also pretty interesting in the context of just our American political system. It's it's kind of equal parts hopeful and cynical about the future of our of, of those systems. It opens with a quote from George Washington that kind of speaks to the speaks to the inherent corruptibility of partisan politics at the same time it's it's depicting individual political journeys in their in their infancies at at the embryonic stage where there's still a hint of idealism there's the undercurrent of potential it's an interesting event to be capturing the film has i'd say four main characters and I'm not going to spoil anything in this conversation. I'm not going to give away any plot points, but three of the main characters are very central to the 
overall events that, that take place in this camp. And that's, you know, partially good scouting by the documentarians and certainly partially some luck as well. This film uses their stories as a way to show the the machinations of Boys State, how it works and how the party politics system, as well as the baggage that all the participants kind of bring into it, just given kind of how politics is, is consumed in this day of age, kind of how that impacts the way these elections unfold and, and then kind of leaves to you, the viewer, to extrapolate as, as to how that would maybe continue to manifest out out in the world outside of this simulated exercise. Um, so it's I think it was certainly impressive that they were able to capture such depth on these characters. I, I'm sure that they were counting their stars in, in many instances where the characters must have surprised them with, you know, momentous speeches and unexpected revelations. You get representatives from across the political spectrum. You get a, a range within these four characters of skill sets and ambitions and, and objectives. It does a nice job of holistically kind of covering the, the political experience and representing different ideologies in, in a way that's thought-provoking. And the, the other kind of element about these characters is they're all just extremely charismatic and, and interesting. And, and credit to the filmmakers for identifying them because some of, you know, especially I think you would call the protagonist of the movie is a boy named Steven. And he does not come off as necessarily being charismatic at all when you first meet him. He comes off as being very shy and withdrawn. But as the story develops, you, you really see his potential blossom in real time. You have a character named Ben who is an amputee who's very conservative and who has a very advanced view of politics and political workings. Then there's a couple other characters, Renee and Robert, uh, who the film tracks closely. I, I mean, without these personalities and without their ability to successfully articulate their thought processes and decision making, you know, you don't have a film. So I, I think these filmmakers had really great subjects. They captured a lot of a lot of footage. I mean, this whole camp is concentrated within a week in their long, long days. And you have all these different characters that are in different places. And so they had a big crew, I know. And they had to capture this all, cut it all together. And, and the result is, I think, a really well-told story that is, again, just super entertaining for a documentary, for a political documentary. I mean, I'm somebody who, who likes politics, who kind of is a bit of a junkie, but my wife doesn't follow politics nearly as closely as I do. And she, she was really wrapped into the to the storylines and, and trying to follow along with, with what was going to happen. So I do recommend Boy State. I think it's a really strong film. And transitioning into kind of the next part of this conversation, it, I think, is definitely going to be a Oscar-relevant entrant this year. Whether or not it ultimately gets nominated, I, I happen to think it will. But I do think that it will certainly get shortlisted. It'll certainly be on Doc NYC and all the big end of year lists. And I, I, I do think that it will probably get nominated for an Oscar. Now, I've seen a lot of crowning of this film in its coverage of, of saying that this is kind of the clear favorite to win the Oscar this year. And that might be true. I, I, I don't know. But I do think that that ignores the depth of the class this year, which is what I want to talk about next. So back in March, I 
did an episode on a film called Crip Camp, which was, at the time, I felt a really heavy favorite to get nominated for Best Documentary Feature. And I think that that was sound logic at the time. It is from Higher Ground Productions, which is Michelle Obama and Barack Obama's production company. They obviously won last year with American Factory. It was a film that was celebrated out of Sundance that was picked up for distribution by Netflix, who campaigns very well. In the interim since that time, though, there has been just a steady drumbeat of highly competitive documentary films that I could make arguments for almost all of them. So Netflix put out another film called Athlete A, which is a somewhat investigative, somewhat just depictionary look at U.S. gymnastics and the, and the sexual abuse scandal uh, with, with the team doctor Larry Nasser. That film was released onto Netflix. It was well received. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it told the story pretty well. I don't think that in this class it's going to compete, but that came out on Netflix. Uh, another film called On the Record came out on HBO Max. It was steeped in quite a bit of controversy uh, because Oprah had originally been a producer on it, and she kind of withdrew her name at the last moment before it before it was released. So so that got some, you know, it kind of started with the auspice of kind of a cloud over it. But it was ultimately picked up and released on HBO Max. It's from from filmmakers Kirby Dick and, and Amy Ziering, who have done decent amount of filmmaking on sexual assault. And the film covers hip-hop mogul Russell Simmons. And more specifically, it covers the women who he allegedly abused uh, in his time as a powerful music executive. It, it specifically focuses on a woman named Drew Dixon, who was who was working in kind of an executive role under Russell Simmons and who, you know, she alleges that he assaulted her and the movie tracks kind of her grappling with whether or not to be the first person to go on the record and to talk to the New York Times about what had happened in the wake of, of some of kind of that Me Too movement. I found it to be a very good film and a film that I thought it was good when I was watching it and then that also stuck with me uh, more so than maybe some other films after after I saw it. You know, I think one of the things that it takes on directly is is black women's place in the Me Too movement and kind of whether they feel included in it, whether, you know, that community feels like the movement applies to them. And I think the kind of the last thing that, that stuck with me about it is you see a lot of these stories that, you know, about Harvey Weinstein, for example, and like the stories and kind of the substance of these stories is that Harvey Weinstein did these terrible things to women, but the stories end up being about Harvey Weinstein, whereas the movie on the record is is really about the women. And while it does depict Russell Simmons, it does track kind of his whereabouts and his response to the accusations. It is centrally focused on, on the accusers. And so anyway, I found this to be a very, very strong, very relevant movie. I think when I was watching it, I wasn't sure whether it would be nominated. I'm still not sure whether it will be nominated, but I do think it's worthy. I do think it'll be in contention. That movie came out on HBO Max. Another film that came out on HBO Max is called Welcome to Chechnya. And this movie, I think, I think is is very likely to be nominated for Best Documentary Feature. This is a film uh, from a, a filmmaker named David France who has previously been nominated for an Oscar for a movie called How to Survive a Plague. The movie is about 
kind of the persecution of the LGBTQ community in Chechnya, a Russian republic. And the structure of it is that it, it tracks, it follows a number of the fugitives, I guess you would say, from Chechnya who are trying to escape to avoid persecution. And it and it is kind of through a railroad of kind of activists who help gay people get out of the country to avoid being persecuted. And it tells those stories in a compelling way. But what I found to be really stand out about this film in particular is its use of deep fake technology. And this is really specifically what I think will get it a nomination for an Oscar. So we hear a lot about deep fake technology in kind of a negative way in, you know, Facebook propaganda and kind of a fear that foreign powers or I guess domestic powers would use this technology to, to make it look like people are saying things they're not saying. They would take, you know, politicians or other uh, known people and, and make fake videos about them talking. And that is an application of deep fake technology. But the way that the filmmakers use it in Welcome to Chechnya is to protect the identities of those who are fleeing for their safety. Ba- basically what they did is they took faces of volunteers in New York and they took those faces and they were able to use defect technology to place those faces on the people in the movie to hide their identity. So they just looked like volunteers in New York. Like they looked like specific people who were different people than them. And it helps them hide their identities. And it's, it's such like a novel and advanced use of this technology. And there's, there's one moment in the film that, I guess it's a minor spoiler, so you could skip ahead 30 seconds if you don't want to hear it, but there's a character who decides to share his identity as a means to try to confront this government treatment head on. And in that moment, they allow the deep fake technology to dissolve. And so you see it in action. You see his face basically changing into his real face from the, the face that they had been using. And it just kind of makes you realize how astounding this technology is. That, you know, that's a fairly technical reason to, to talk about a movie for an Oscar. Um, but I think it is very impressive and it's a good movie anyway. And then combine that with the fact that this is a filmmaker who the Academy knows he's already been nominated for an Oscar. I do think Welcome to Chechnya is a, is a fairly decent bet to get a nomination. There was also a movie called The Painter and the Thief, which I think is very likely to get a nomination for an Oscar. It was not as much for me. It was highly celebrated. When it came out, everybody loved this movie. Neon distributed it. Obviously, every time, you know, Neon should just change their name now to be Neon Who Distributed Parasite. But because of that, they are a studio that people watch very, very closely relative to the awards. This is kind of a, I don't know if you'd call it like a chamber piece documentary. Like it's basically just the relationship between a woman who is a painter and a on-again, off-again drug addict who tries to steal her paintings gets caught and then she reaches out and, and forms a relationship with him. It's thoughtful. It's reflective. It definitely has things to say. It, it is very slow. I, I found it just to be a bit boring, but this is a movie that is very celebrated and I think is, you know, has neon behind it, which certainly knows how to campaign for an Oscar. So that's another movie that could be in the mix. And then my kind of favorite, I think, if I had to say 
what do I think will win and what what would I pick is a movie called Father, Soldier, Son. This uh, was a New York Times documentary that was released on Netflix uh, in June. It was supposed to debut at Tribeca. Obviously, Tribeca was canceled, but it follows a military family for 10 years. So if you think about that Richard Linklater film Boyhood that was nominated for an Oscar a few years ago that was filmed over a decade, and this is kind of similar to that, but this is a true story. There's there's no scripting here. It follows a, a man who comes back from war, ends up getting getting hurt in combat, and then shows kind of the generational effect on his family as they grow up. And it's a tough hang. It's a family that endures a lot of pain and deep tragedy at a number of different points, but it is considerably rich as a text. As far as what it has to say about the military, about patriotism, about individual sacrifice, and about trauma and how families and and individuals are impacted and cope with trauma, I highly recommend it as a film. And I, I think that the substance of the accomplishment, I think, will position it very, very well come Oscar season. The New York Times has a lot of success in in the Oscars when it comes to short films. Um, they don't have a real long history of features films, but I do think that um, Father, Soldier, Son is, is going to be in the mix. And then I guess the last one that I've seen so far um, that I would consider kind of of this class is a movie called The Reason I Jump that I saw as part of Hot Dogs. I don't know that it's actually like formally been released, but it's very good. It, it is about autism, and I think that it does, I, I guess I'm... I'm assuming here because I'm I'm not autistic, but it it seems to do a very great job at allowing the viewer to relate to what it would feel like and and be like to be autistic. It's very sensory in nature. The sound design on it is astounding as far as trying to replicate focus and kind of hyper focus on certain things and sensorial collage in a lot of ways that also has compelling characters tells a really interesting story in an interesting and novel way. Um, So I don't know if that has gotten quite the level of attention as some of the other films that I talked about. I think that for that reason, it it may be less likely to get a nomination. At the same time, I I think that the work kind of speaks for itself. And again, I'm not even sure that it's been formally released. So, you know, it may get more attention when it is formally released. Still to come, there are a few really high-profile documentaries this fall. So there's one there's one actually that's going to come out just in the next couple of weeks called Epicentro, which also won an award at Sundance. It focuses on Cuba. The Truffle Hunters is a film uh, from Cannes. Obviously, Cannes was canceled, but they still kind of named their class, and this was a film that was designated as, as a Cannes film. As it sounds like, it, it follows truffle hunters in Europe. Um, but it's supposed to be quite interesting. Another film that I kind of talked about earlier in the year, as I, you know, when I think when I covered Crip Camp, is a movie called Dick Johnson is Dead that still has not been slated for a specific release date, but is definitely coming this fall. It's coming to Netflix. It played Sundance. It's from Kristen Johnson, whose kind of most recognizable Oscar-relevant film is called Camera Person. It was relevant for being snubbed, but it was it ended up being on many of the best films of the decade lists of the of the 2010s this film covers the end of life of her father in sort of a very unconventional way 
out of Norway, there's a, another film that was a, a Cannes named film that also played Berlin called Gunda. That's uh, from a filmmaker named Victor Kosakowski, who's known for his cinematography within documentaries. He actually was, he made a film last year that was shortlisted. It was not nominated, but it did make the shortlist for best documentary feature uh, called Aquarilla, which was literally just like a couple hours of water in different forms. Um, but it was astounding cinematographically. Gunda f- follows the daily life of a pig, um, two cows and a one-legged chicken. Joaquin Phoenix is involved as, as a producer. So th- those are some Oscar names right there. And then finally, a film that, you know, I, I'm waiting to see how it's received, but I'm really excited for it. It's called Feels Good Man. And it's the story of Pepe the Frog, basically a cartoon frog that has been co-opted as a symbol of the alt-right and this documentary feels good man uh, which also played sundance tracks the original artists who designed this frog who did not have the intent of it being a mascot of the alt-right trying to to basically reclaim his his intellectual property it played really well at sundance it's a movie that i'm very eager to see and then finally, there's there's a handful of movies that have come out that I just haven't seen yet. There's Rebuilding Paradise, which is from Ron Howard, and it's kind of focused on trying to rebuild the community of Paradise, California, after the the campfires a few years ago. This movie is kind of ostensibly about rebuilding. Now, obviously, it takes on a whole new meaning, even watching it now, knowing kind of what's going on out in California. But that's a movie that could be relevant. Yusuf Hawkins' Storm Over Brooklyn, that, that follows the killing of a black teenager in Brooklyn in the 90s that kind of set off a cultural firestorm. And then John Lewis' Good Trouble was a documentary that I haven't seen yet. It, I think it was supposed to be relatively good, telling the story of John Lewis. And then, you know, movies that I, a movie that I didn't even mention is a movie called 9 to 5 Story of a Movement. This is sort of about female rights in, in the workplace, the battle for equal pay and, and also just equal treatment in the workplace. And the, what makes this film so relevant is it's from the filmmakers uh, who last year won an Oscar for American Factory. Now, I, I did not think it was a particularly memory, memorable documentary. Um, I, I thought it was okay. I thought it told the story, but not, you know, it didn't really stick with me beyond just the hour and a half I spent watching it. But that's a deep class. I've covered a lot of stuff. So again, I'm going to try to round up what are the movies that I think are serious, active contenders for Oscars that have come out so far. Boy State, Welcome to Chechnya, On the Record, Father, Soldier, Son, Painter and the Thief, Yusuf Hawkins, Storm Over Brooklyn, The Reason I Jump, John Lewis, Good Trouble. So I just listed eight movies. And then still to come out, Dick Johnson is Dead, The Truffle Hunters, Gunda, Epicentro, Feels Good Man. So that's 14 movies for five slots. So I think that this year, oh, and I did not even mention Crip Camp. And Crip Camp, obviously, that that would be a movie that is from higher ground production. And so, you know, I'm talking now about 15 movies for five slots. So stay tuned. It's going to be, I think, a really competitive race for Best Documentary Feature, but Certainly check out Boy State if you have Apple TV+. Plus. If not, maybe it's worth doing the trial just to watch this. You can watch On the Rocks in a few months when it comes out. You can watch Greyhound if you're like a huge World War II nerd, which I'm not. Um, it's very technical in nature. But Boy State's a really, really interesting, really enjoyable couple hours. So that's the episode this week. 
just a little check-in on Best Documentary Feature. No episode next week, and then we'll be back talking. We're going to talk Charlie Kaufman. We'll talk probably Sofia Coppola. Maybe talk Christopher Nolan. There's a lot of stuff coming, and and Oscar season is is not far away. So stay safe. Have a great Labor Day. Thanks for listening, and, and I'll talk to you soon.